This is the Future of Cyber Risk podcast, brought to you by Team Cymru. I'm your host, David Monier, fellow at Team Cymru. Let's jump right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Cyber Risk podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Casio Goldschmidt, CISO at Service Titan. Casio, thanks for chatting with me today. It's a pleasure to be here, David. Excellent. So, Casio, tell us a little more about yourself, uh, your background, and how you came to work at Service Titan. Okay, so I started my career as a software developer. I like to think that I started when I was 14 years old, when I got my first computer, and I just didn't know that that was going to be my career. But later in life, I became a software developer. I worked for a couple of Fortune 500 companies developing uh, their main applications. And uh, from there, I shifted to uh, becoming a AppSec practitioner. With that, after a couple of years as a practitioner, reviewing code and doing pen tests and so on, I moved to management. As for education, I have a bachelor's in uh, computer science, a master's degree in software engineer, and also uh, an MBA, which is pretty helpful being in management and a handful number of uh, certifications that I, I took over the, the years as well. Okay. So do us a favor. So most folks, I'm certain many people rely on service type and they have no idea they do. Tell us a little bit about the offerings that you guys provide. Yeah, so Service Titan is a vertical SaaS B2B company, which means uh, vertical SaaS is a company that does everything that a business needs in order to run that business. The business that we help to run are the trades, the people who come to your home to you know, fix your plumbing, your garage, electrical, HVAC, and so on. They need some very specific systems in order to do their job, to manage their fleet, to manage the phone, and so on. And that's what Service Titan does. We're not uh, angels list. We're not in a list where you actually get the people who are going to fix your plumbing, but really the back end for those businesses. Yeah, so there we have it. So listeners out there, little do you know, where whether you know it or not, Casio is probably responsible for helping secure your data uh, related to all of your service appointments. So Casio, what's a day in the life of a modern CISO look like? It really varies, David. You know, sometimes I, I tell people that I'm just one email or a call away for from having my life, you know, going upside down. But in general, what I do is I spend a lot of time coaching and working with my team. I think the more I work with them, the more autonomy they have in order to do the day-to-day work. So, you know, working with compliance, vulnerability management, vendor management, so they can actually serve the business the best they can. As for me, I spend a lot of time with uh, IT, with legal, engineering, sales, HR, customer success, you know, learning team, the uh, marketing, and also our customers, right? I really love to talk with our customers and say all the good things that we're doing related to security. I would say that things vary every morning. It's different. There's a lot of passion for the work, right? And also a lot of time that you have to spend looking at the latest threads and uh, just staying up to date. So another thing that I do is uh, I talk with a lot of vendors. I see what are the things they are creating, the problems they are solving. And because we're a cloud native type of company, a lot of the tools that were very successful in the past, 
they cannot be used anymore in a cloud environment. They're just not optimal. So I love to hear from the vendors, specifically from the small companies, how they're disrupting the information security and bringing better solutions. Yeah, so in that space, would you say that you are, what is it, like pushing the envelope because you guys are cloud-oriented, and but the other side of the equation, probably historically, IT was largely an afterthought. Do you find yourselves being, are you guys the groundbreakers? Are you guys the people who are really causing that innovation? I think sometimes, yes, we do have to look at new technology and innovative solutions. And yeah, they come from, you know, the smaller companies. So a lot of times we are looking at uh, solutions that haven't been widely accepted in the market. And I think to date, we've been very uh, successful doing that. And one of the ways to look at success is how those solutions are later adopted in the market and, you know, how, for example, Gartner look at those solutions once they become a little bit more mainstream. And at the same time, the number of uh, disruptions that we cost the business, which to date has been known. And that's another way to really measure how you're doing innovation, but with responsibility not to break the business. Yeah. So, and I think, do your partners also inherit or do you inherit a lot of like policy by way of your partners? Like, for example, like HIPAA, you know, those records are specific, right? You are a B2B business. If you were to service, say, a hospital, you inherently, you have just picked up HIPAA, right? You now have to operate on that. Do you guys at services, do you, do you see a lot of that where you have to be kind of policy nimble? I actually see them coming. <laughs> so because where we are, we do have some sensitive information, such as a credit card. We just uh, got our certification renewal for PCI DSS, which service Titan is level one, the highest level you can get. And because of the business that we do serving the trades, maybe in the future, there will be a need to have uh, health information such as COVID or, you know, going uh, overseas with the product and so on. So, you know, things such as uh, CCPA already apply for us today and privacy, but GDPR might apply later and so on. So I think that it's going to be a uh, ongoing need for service Titan. Having said that, Security always comes first, right? It should always come before any compliance. And that's the way we'll continue to run our business. Sure. Yeah. No, if you are insecure, there's not even worth complying. Your the ship is already sinking. Yeah. So from your perspective, how do CISOs view cyber risk management today? Yeah. So cyber risk management is is definitely a essential part of the business. A lot of people try to look at what's trending, what's new. But a lot of the risk comes from the basics, right? It's the phishing attack that happens every day. And I was just uh, reviewing our newsletter that goes out every month to all employees. And uh, three articles are just dealing with phishing, how to report phishing, and new ways that people are phishing because things are changing all the time, right? Right now, everyone is talking about AI and ML. And there's going to be used for phishing. So, for example, right now you have one shot in order to send a message and attackers actually say, hey, here's something urgent that you have to do right now. In the future, they're going to create a uh, chat application that will go and first get the trust 
from the victim and then start asking for things. And if it is a business email compromise, they actually can mimic the way the chat is going to write sentences, just like the person who was compromised, right? And uh, actually use previous emails that were exchanged to actually put some topics and get the trust of the victim. So there's a lot of innovation going there. Another part that is really important about risk management is just to communicate what the risks are for the business and perform assessments, right? Continuously, uh, risk assessment, privacy assessment, pen test, social engineering, bug bounties we recently started and it's going super well. And various scans using modern tools that really, you know, do the work of uh, a person given all the intelligence that those new tools have. How did your board respond to the idea when you approached them and said, we want to give people money to find problems in our network and on our services, but they won't be people who work for us? How did that go over? Yeah, so uh, the board has been very supportive and they really get security, which is a, a blessing for me. And I think they do understand being a technology company that technology can a lot of times solve the problem faster or identify the problem faster than having people. We've grew the team very cautiously, I think, over the years in order not to create positions that were eventually going to be dismissed, right? And always looking at the new technology that could do the work that is just boring for the team. One of the things about the team is that everybody in my team seems to have uh, dual degrees. They know business, they know technology, they know legal or they know technology, right? Or they just acquired this kind of expertise over time working and balancing the needs of the business with the needs of security. And I think that's the most important thing in order to move ahead with times because technology is always changing and you need people with uh, a mindset of always learning and always doing things differently. Sure. So talking about AI and its use, you know, or as adversaries using it, a friend of mine runs a mailing list called Unsupervised Learning. Daniel Meisler is a really, really smart guy. And he he also sees uh, kind of new topics, you know, as they're coming. And he shared in his newsletter, which I have to admit, I don't follow AI very closely because it's still kind of hand wavy for me. And I have, you know, a four-year-old and important things going on. So I don't have the time, you know, to be folks like that. But I was very, just this last Monday, I was very surprised to hear that someone had taken, I want to say it was a G-chat, G-talk, something like this. I forget the specific library set, but it's basically we're already there. And somebody tested this chat in the function of what if this were a phishing exercise, and it did very well. So your prediction is spot on. We are we are headed for automated breach, automated initial access. Yeah. Just consider, David, for example, these days when a lot of people receive a email from uh, princes from Nigeria, for example, they go to the internet and they find the exact email and they know it's a spam and you know they should not respond and so on. If you can generate that same email using AI and each time is going to be different, the mm-hmm. source that you had on the internet won't exist anymore. Sure. So right there, it becomes more credible. And that's a real challenge that is happening right now. Sure. And all the hashing models that are used today to score you know, message bodies at scale, they're all hash-based. And that means the message has to be the same. 
in order to be spotted. So that will break all of the Bayesian modeling as well. That's it. All gone. Yeah. Yeah, all gone. So you describe to me what CISOs think about risk in this regard, or risk management, I should say. But what do CISOs get wrong about cyber risk management? So I think a lot of things that other CISOs get wrong and that really bothers me is the attitude of uh, blaming and, and punishing users and, and developers. And that's something that, to me, it's a big no-no. You're there to actually work with them. And if they don't get what they need to do, it's actually your problem that you have not communicated properly, right? And if they're still clicking on things and then creating a risk for the company, it's really also your problem that you didn't provide the seatbelts and the, you know, ABS and all the security tools that they need in order to drive their computers safely. Right. There's a lot of things that people are not doing security in depth. They only think, okay, here's my defense. And that's the one defense that I have. That is unfortunately not enough given where we, we are. And thinking about compliance, being security is another one that really bothers me. Uh, a lot of companies have a collection of ISO and SOC and SOCs and, you know, all sorts of uh, Star Alliance uh, attestations that they got over time. And they think they're secure because of that. And they are not because they are not really thinking about security and risk in a holistic approach, you know, and that's a big problem. One of the problems about risk, for example, is right now we're about to deploy some code in order to make automatic updates to our infrastructure. And because it's right before the holidays, I told the team, you know, between deploying this thing right now or waiting a couple of weeks, and preventing a major outage for the business, let's hold on into this, releasing this new technology. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people who are beginning in this field think that security always comes first, but sometimes you have to look at what you have, whether it's secure, working, and do the innovation when the time is right, balancing the risk for the business Mm -hmm. of disrupting things during a time that everyone's going to be out. Yeah, it is remarkable to me, having met with you know hundreds of people throughout my career, and often ending the the focus ends up being around risk. We don't often use that word though, right? We use other words to describe it, but really we're talking risk. And it is astounding to me the number of people that don't get the very thing you just mentioned, which is you have to be in business. Like the being in business is your first thought, not the security, not the policy, not the nothing else matters if you're not in business. So like disrupting the business or not disrupting the business more appropriately should be the number one focus of every employee at a company. But a surprisingly large number of, in particular in the security space, they have no problem taking the position of, well, if it's not safe, turn it off. But they don't realize that if you turn it off, that's the business. And how are we going to make money? How are you still, how are we going to pay everyone? How are, why are we doing this if we are not in business? So it is remarkable for what it's worth. I would agree with you wholeheartedly, the number of people who just miss that step somehow. It's like becomes implicit and then, then somehow goes out of mind. It's really interesting, but it's like, you know, people not realizing that you have to wake up, get dressed and go to places and, but they are not thinking about the waking up step. They forget that, oh, the, you know, uh, step zero is just lost anyway. So as an executive, so this is, you know, with your leadership hat on, what do you think makes an effective uh, cyber risk management program and how do you measure that effectiveness? 
Banjo is always tricky with uh, cybersecurity because you don't have first order metrics a lot of times. So you go to second order metrics, right? So you look at, for example, application security, and it's really not about, I want to say, how many defects or vulnerabilities that you caught, but really how well you're integrating all the security activities that need to happen throughout the development lifecycle in order to get a secure product at the end, right? A lot of people, for example, would measure things such as the number of malwares that were detected by a certain tool. Unless you are at risk of not renewing your tool because of budget constraints or something like that, I don't think that number is very telling. Because basically what you're saying is, you know, number went up, went down, is it good or bad? Does it mean you're getting more attacks? Does it mean that your pen testers are doing a good job? It's just a number that goes up and down. The important thing is that it catches something and it's really important for your security. What I like to do is really compare us against the rest of the industry. See how we're doing. There are different ways that you can do that. You can ask your auditors when you do a uh, assessment, how do I compare with everybody else? Am I Really, the last one, am I in front of people? You know, how are attacks being mitigated? Things such as whether you're taking less time to detect and respond is always a nice thing to know. But I don't think you need to actually have metrics that you measure things up to the second or to the minute, right? When, for example, I go from a manual solution to automated solution, I know that the times to actually detect and respond are going to be better. Right. I don't need to actually go and measure those things. I want to measure the things that I can actually paint a picture to the board, to my leadership, and they can see that we're doing a good job comparing to the rest of the industry and that we're keeping up to uh, speed with the new attacks and what's going on out there. In that vein, so as CISO, you know, you have the benefit of kind of seeing into the future, let's say. Like you said, you are looking at things down the road. That's a continuous part of what you do. What tools do you think down the road are coming our ways? Like technologies, specific capabilities. Think on the five-year timeline. What things are coming and and what are you excited about? I'm really excited these days about machine learning and artificial intelligence. I think there's some really big breakthroughs going on right now. And that is going to be used in many different ways that we have today. So giving an example of some experimentations that we're doing, we have vendor management. And for each vendor, we have an automated score that is created, right? And the vendors sometimes provide things such as the SOC 2 report. This SOC 2 report has several pages. The initial triage can actually be done with, you know, artificial intelligence, looking at the report and answering questions of, when was this report done? Who did this report? What are the criteria that were evaluated in this report? Are there any exceptions? If there are, you can actually get somebody to actually review that report. I can actually use AI such as GPT-3 to answer questions such, uh, did this vendor had ever had a breach in the past, right? He has a no, what was the breach? And get all these answers in my spreadsheet and have them also to be reviewed. 
So I'm, I'm super excited about that. And, you know, this is not to forget about the bread and butter, such as identity and access management, which is, you know, super important and uh, something that we have to consolidate. We have so many different services that we use in the cloud. We really want to get the same identity known around all our tools so we can actually troubleshoot any potential attacks or, you know, things that happen faster and give the identity nowhere to go and, and what to do. So having looked at GPT yourself, what do you see that as a big hurdle to implement, uh, right? Because you have to inform it somehow to get it started. Do you see that as a big hurdle or not? Yes, it's a new technology, right? So you can actually play with it. And sometimes you're going to get wrong information, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be prepared to uh, trust but verify, as people say, right? right? And, And make sure that what you're getting is quality data, just like, for example, when you adopt tools such as a vulnerability management tools or static code analysis. One of the flaws that I've seen in the past is that those tools sometimes give you a lot of false positives or just plain noise. And I think that's the main problem that you have with AI. If you start using for everything without really having a good case and uh, trust in that tool, people will start dismissing. And that's nothing worse than actually having tools that nobody's looking at because there's no trust on the result. For sure. So, and the good news out there for listeners is that uh, I think that means humans are always going to be involved in the process. So AI is not coming for our jobs. So for security leaders looking to establish, you know, a high-performing team, what skills, what talents, what components do you think are most critical to focus on given the landscape as it is today and going forward? So I think that the thing that comes first is really to understand what you're trying to protect. I've worked, you know, for many Fortune 500 companies. And when I joined Service Titan, one of the first things they said was, this is going to be different than the other companies that I worked for because what we have here is different, the technology, the people, and the data that we have. So that's one of the very important things, understanding who you're protecting from, who are the attackers, who are the competitors, you know, the legal liability you have, and the modern teams you need to understand what kind of technology you have and have a team that is able to work in different areas and have good education background as well as uh, willingness to learn things on the way because things are constantly changing. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that your team is comprised largely of people who have dual disciplines or more. That's a characteristic very common found in the military special operations units. They typically, you know, whether they be Army Special Forces or, you know, Navy SEALs or, you know, these types of units, every individual person in the team is typically dual hatted as well. Like they may be a medic and also explosives person or a linguist and, uh, you know, whatever, uh, marksman or something like this. But everybody typically has that same function. So that not just so you can split the team in two. But so that, like you said, so that everybody understands the field, if you will, better, like it's more overlap between people and you end up with a much tighter execution, a much tighter synergy within the team, a much better integrity in that regard, because kind of everybody knows what it feels like to be their neighbor and what their neighbor should be doing. It's an, it's an interesting model and it's a, a number one characteristic of those types of units. Uh, so for what it's worth, I'd say you're onto something there. So, Kesso, that's all the time that we have today. I thank you very much for coming in. If our listeners 
wanted to keep up with you, what's the best place for them to go? Do you have Twitter or LinkedIn or do you post on social media anywhere? I think the best way is uh, LinkedIn. That's where I, I check things every day and best way to contact me. Okay, excellent. So thank you again for your time. Thank you everyone for tuning in to listen. I hope it was enjoyable. I certainly enjoyed chatting with you today. Likewise. Uh, yeah, look forward to chat with you in the future. Thank you, David. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Future of Cyber Risk podcast brought to you by Team Cymru. For the latest episodes, please visit team-cymru.com or search Future of Cyber Risk on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks, and we'll catch you on the next episode.